are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on foxsports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Happy Friday, everybody. We have made it to the end of the work week. We have made it to the eve of another storyline-laden Tiger Bowl. Lance, how you doing today, my man? Absolutely fantastic. Yeah, like you just said there, we're finally at the end of the week. It feels like this week has taken forever. I'm just looking forward to some fantastic college football tomorrow on Saturday, and I just cannot wait to get to it. Programming note from here in the studio, Lance and I are pre-recording today's broadcast of On the Line. Reasoning here is I am headed off to Birmingham, namely Bessemer Academy for a Lee Scott football game, causing me to leave earlier in the day. So for all callers out there, we appreciate your support. We appreciate your calls. It'll have to hold on until Monday, and we'll have a lot to talk to you guys about. But today's episode is pre-recorded, but of course still a ton of stuff to talk about. We've got many a different interview to play today on the show we've got Buster Daniel Lee Scott football head coach coming up in our next segment as well as at 2 30 p.m. we will have Zach Blackerby of the Locked On Auburn podcast with us to talk about the Tiger Bowl tomorrow between Auburn and LSU in hour number two we'll have Eric Speakman Obelika football head coach to wrap up some of our high school football talk that we've got priming you up for tonight's football action as well as the weekend but Lance Let's start with the Tiger Bowl tomorrow. Auburn, LSU, you have prepared this wonderful segment for us. I'm ready to dive into it. Where does Auburn have an advantage against LSU on Saturday? We're going to take a look at each of these position groups, and we are going to say quarterback versus quarterback, running back versus running back, wide receivers, and then so on, etc. Who has the advantage? Who has the better position group? So let's start it off in what we have tabbed as the most important factor in the ball game tomorrow which is pretty much who can get the most out of their quarterbacks who can keep their quarterbacks the most comfortable and who can make the other quarterback the least comfortable the quarterback position who has got the edge in this matchup I think with all of the mystery surrounding Auburn's quarterback position right now right we don't know who the guy's going to be it feels it feels okay to give the position edge to L- to LSU right now. Did, had we known who the starter was going to be, had we known that it was going to be a guy that had, that that has had experience up until this point, if it was Nick's, I'd kind of sit here and maybe think about it. Right, if that was the decision, if Brian Harson came out and said, you know what, we're going to start and play Nick's the entire game, I'd kind of have to sit here and think about it. But I think I'm going to give the edge to LSU and Max Johnson. Look, he currently, I believe, has the nation's longest streak in three touchdown performances in a row. I believe it's at six or seven games in a row now. 15 touchdowns to three interceptions on the year. He's just simply not made a lot of mistakes. Now, as we talked about earlier in the week on Report Wednesday, we talked about what LSU likes to do schematically in this passing game, and it's all really simple stuff. So he's not out there like... like uh, he's a, not an Andrew Luck, Peyton Manning type of guy where he's just dinking dunking on the defense and he understands what's going on and he's really diving into checks and different things like that. He's just making easy reads and making the throws and his talented receivers are getting open. I will give the quarterback edge to LSU in this matchup because, again, 
it's just it, there's so much certainty in that position, right? And the passing game's been a strength, and, and Max Johnson's been getting it going. So at home in Death Valley, I think I'm going to give the edge to to a guy that has had so has had such a good start to the year so far in Max Johnson. I think LSU can do some things right now. What we've seen through four games from both of these teams, LSU also seems to have more things around Max Johnson right now. I wish I had a better word than things, but Max Johnson has more support around him to make him more comfortable than maybe what we can say about whoever starts at quarterback or whoever's playing quarterback for Auburn throughout the course of the ballgame. So I agree with you. I think I give the edge. I don't think. I know. I give the edge to LSU at quarterback. Now, with that being said, I think there is talent in the Auburn quarterback room. We've seen flashes. We've seen glimpses of it, whether it is Bo Nix or TJ Finley. Has Bo Nix ran his course? Possibly. But we've also seen good from Bo Nix in his career. If you're going to talk about all the bad don't discount the good talk about the good in the LSU game last year right right also now this is two years ago and I should add that it is two years ago and Bodex could be a vastly different quarterback than what he was two years ago but two years ago he brought you some awesome wins so don't discount all of those things just because you're upset with the way that he's playing right now and for the fact that maybe he has ran his course at quarterback for Auburn because he really hasn't added much to his game over the last two years and it's finally catching up to him whereas TJ Finley is someone who I do think is improving over the course of his career what we've seen out of TJ Finley up to this point albeit in a very small sample size against bad football teams he does look more advanced not calling him an advanced passer but he does appear to be a more advanced passer than he was last year yeah absolutely we saw him struggle in games against pretty good competition for instance last year against Alabama only completed 50 percent of his passes against Texas A&M 9 of 25 no had no touchdowns. help though yeah two interceptions but he didn't really have a whole lot of help around those him. are the two best teams in the league we saw him play poorly against Auburn last year where Auburn was just able to get after him it was just not he's whenever he has struggled he didn't have help around him which doesn't necessarily bode well for him or Bo Nix because neither quarterback has really gotten a ton of help at this point this year right and you look at Bo Nix or TJ Finley whoever starts in this game and you're exactly right the skill positions around him have just been lacking I mean the running backs have been great for Auburn but the skill position like the the receivers have just not been there for Bo Nix or TJ Finley this season they've hurt not helped right they're the trailer not the truck And I think the offensive line has been average in pass protection. I say average because I think they held up fairly well in the Penn State game. Of course, that's not to say that they didn't make mistakes. That's why they're average. They will still occasionally whiff because of communication issues on the line or just plain and simple. And Zach will talk about this later on in the show. These other teams are blitzing and sending more guys than you can block. So you do have to kind of give a little bit of a pass to the offensive line in some of these situations. I think after four games, we can say the offensive line's a lot better this year in pass protection than what it was last year. Will Friend has worked some wonders with this offensive line group. Yeah, absolutely. If you want to go to that position group to decide who has the better offensive line. Let's go to it. LSU or Auburn. I think it's Auburn. Look, they're incredibly experienced this season. Like you mentioned, the pass blocking has been much improved as to where it was last season. It was just not there, essentially. The running uh, the running game has benefited, I think, from this senior-laden offensive line. It was good last year. I think it's good this year. And you look at what LSU's doing on the offensive side of the ball. We've talked about this before this week. 2.9 yards per rush attempt. They've not been holding up 
fantastic in pass protection. We saw them do it last week against Mississippi State, but Mississippi State just simply had a lot of blown coverages, and it was just not. It was just a mess on the on the defensive side of the ball for Mississippi State. But I think offensive offensive line, even in Death Valley, has a slight advantage over LSU's because we saw, like you mentioned, Auburn head into the Penn State game and do just fine. I agree with you. Offensive line advantage Auburn. Reasoning: Look at the ground game. LSU, 2.9 yards per carry. Auburn, look at all of the evidence that we have had through these first four games that even when teams are stacking the box against Auburn, even when Penn State would bring eight, nine guys into the box, Auburn still ran the football down their throats all up and down the field. The running backs are succeeding right now. The offensive line is succeeding at run blocking right now in spite of the poor passing game, in spite of the poor quarterback play and receiver play. They're still finding success on the ground. That's a sign of a good offensive line that is disciplined. They are committing less penalties, it feels like, than they did last year. Of course, the Georgia State game, there was a handful that were frustrating and came at inopportune times. I do admit that, but I think on the whole, through the first four games, the offensive line has done a pretty good job of not committing penalties and infractions. That would pull your hair out traditionally from Auburn's offensive line last year. So I agree with you advantage Auburn offensive line also think pass protection they're holding up just as well if not better than LSU yeah absolutely and again you look at them whenever the you look at this rushing attack whenever teams are stacking the box they still average 4.6 yards a carry against Penn State and 4.7 against Georgia State I mean they're still able to to run the ball somewhat effectively 100 percent let's move to that running back category this is easy. It's not even close. Not even close. I mean, Auburn's running back room has just been phenomenal up until this point. I would put Auburn's backs against pretty much any tandem in the country. Jarquez Hunter and, and Tank Bigsby currently are on pace, I believe. I'm, my math might be wrong. Bigsby's on pace to have a 1,400-yard season, and Hunter, don't think he's going to get here, but he's on pace to have a 1,200-yard season right now. I mean, that is just insane. Will well, they get there? I doubt it, but they might get close. You go back to 2016, and I hope my memory is not failing me here, but I seem to remember Carrion Johnson was very close to a 1,000-yard season that year if he didn't hit it. And Cameron Petway had a monstrous season that year running the football, so much so that we had massive hopes for Petway going into 17, lost his positioning with the team, and then you end up with Carrion Johnson and what he did in 2017. The last time Auburn had this type of two-headed monster at full force in the backfield, I don't know. How long has it been? Dare I say Carnell Williams and Ronnie Brown? Dare I say that? Has it been that long? It might be that long, honestly. Carry uh, on Johnson in 2016, 895 rushing yards, 4.9 yards to carry, 11 touchdowns as a backup. As a backup. As a backup halfback. And then in 2013, I mean, obviously, Auburn's on pace to have their best rushing attack since that since that year, but it was kind of the Trey Mason show, essentially. And I, I know they At had, least by the end of the year it was. I know that Cameron Artis Payne and Corey Grant were also factors in that in that rushing attack, but it was it was Trey Mason, essentially, like you said, towards the end of the year. I need to clarify some of what I just said because I don't want people to take it out of context or say, oh, it's too early to say that. But I like this comparison to Carnell and Ronnie. And here's my reasoning. Jarquez, a different type of back than what Tank Bigsby offers you. They have different skill sets. Tank, and Tank was drawing comparisons to Carnell last year. So if people disagree with me on that, I am not the first to say this. Jarquez is definitely more of the power back. Whereas Tank Bigsby, I'm not calling him a scat back. He is definitely not that. He will run over you, right? He is still physical. Carnell was physical. 
but he offered you a little bit more speed, a little bit more in the receiving game, a little bit more on the outside. He was a little bit shiftier than Ronnie Brown was. These two guys have not reached that level of what we remember from those two because what we remember from those two is 2004. But dive back to the beginning of when those two were the Auburn backfield at the beginning of their career. Dive back to that point and then tell me what you think or you know, kind of assess it at that point. I was very young back then, but based off of the skill sets of the two backs and how hot they have started their careers, Tank's only a sophomore. Jarquez is a freshman, a true freshman. Eligibility-wise, Tank is a freshman because last year didn't count. And the fact that these guys, honestly, and I say this honestly, you're going to be hard-pressed to find a tandem in the backfield better than what Auburn has. A one and two better than what Auburn has. You are going to have a hard time finding it. Jarquez Hunter was getting meaningful carries in pivotal moments in that Penn State game. He hurdled a guy. And what's even better is we're probably going to get another year, both of them, which is is, is wild to think about. I pray. <laughs> yeah, we, we hope. But, yeah. Or start the Georgia rumors. Yeah, Cadillac. Cadillac. What do you mean? What do you mean? The, the, you don't remember that during the offseason? You don't remember that? I don't. Not that there was any credence to it. I say that jokingly. They weren't legit, obviously, because Tank is here. But there was stuff circulating around social media that I don't know who started it, but was trying to apply, oh, Tank Bigsby's thinking about transferring. Who would he go to? Georgia, because he came from the state of Georgia, obviously. But not saying that any of that was legit, because obviously it was not legit. I said that as a joke because the way the transfer portal is and how often we're seeing teams move or players move teams – no, I, was, I was saying that as a joke. Yeah, this is a Bama fan rumor. Discount. <laughs> but back in 2004, Cadillac had 1,100 yards. Ronnie Brown had 913. And that's the best running back tandem I think we, we've seen up until this point right now, right? But in terms of tandem period, Nick Marshall and Trey Mason both in 2013 had over 1,000 yards rushing. Mason had 1,800. Marshall had just over 1,000. But if you're talking about running back tandem, absolutely, I think Tank Bixby and Jarquez Hunter is the best we've seen since 2004. Not that I can't think I can't think of another group that outside of Petway and Johnson. I think this this tandem has an opportunity because they're going to be able to do it over the course of two seasons. Like there were good backfields that Tommy Tuberville had after 04. Like I've, I and I may be misremembered here, but I feel like I remember a backfield uh, that had Kenny Irons and Brad Lester, and then Ben Tate was coming around at that point as well. And then th- there were some great backfields back then, but I don't think any of them hold the flame at this point to what we're seeing at such a young age from Jarquez Hunter and Tank Bigsby. I mean, Jarquez Hunter is a real factor in any football game he plays. Whichever one of these guys are on the field, they have proven it does not matter the opponent. Whichever guy is on the field, you have to know what they're doing at all times. And I want to go back to the Georgia State game real quick. Something that we saw, and we have discounted Sean Shivers here. Sean Shivers is still a quality running back. What did we see in that Georgia State game that was so particularly interesting that is, I think, something that we're going to see down the line. Do you know what I'm talking about here? Wasn't it that sweep? It's the fact that they had two running backs on the field at the same time, something that Malzahn didn't do a whole lot, and he put Sean Shivers in the slot at receiver, right. motioned him, and then they ended up giving it to Shivers. But what that's going to do, that is brilliant. When I saw that, I was like, oh, I love this. I need to see more of this. I need to see them do more off of this. And I think they will. It's just, and imagine if they put Jarquez in the backfield and tank right there. The motion there draws the attention of guys in the tackle box to potentially pull them out, which could free things up inside. 
But if you do that, you have now given Tank Bixby space to run inside, which is a horrible thing to do from a defensive standpoint. So then you see guys naturally say, well, we need to stay home. We can't forget about Tank Bixby in the backfield. And then that small second of hesitation could be enough to spring a big play from a Sean Shivers or a receiver taking that. I loved seeing two running backs on the field because I think they are all, and I would love to see Hunter and Bixby on the field at the same time because I don't think defenses would know how to play it. Where you go like split back and you've yeah. got the quarterback and you've got Bigsby to your left and Hunter to your right and you run some type of option essentially off of it. You run some type of action off of I it. I don't mean, think they will do that because does that sound like something Mike Bobo would do? No, but what I'm saying is like we saw, like you mentioned, we saw split back a couple of different times during the Georgia State game. I just, like you said, I want to see how they build off of it. 100%. And I think we will see that in the LSU game, which... I kind of want to ask you this real quick before we go to break. I know we've got some other position groups to get to, and we'll wrap up offense before we do go to break. But I feel like Auburn's been holding back a little bit. Yeah. It, it from fe- a game plan perspective. I think Auburn's been holding back a little bit. It feels, and, you know, Mike Bobo, I think he's been around the SEC long enough to not be stale and to not be basic, right? But it feels like the offensive game plans that we've seen so far, I mean, we saw some wrinkles in the Penn State game. Sure, we saw a trick play that all, that could have worked out had Kobe had held on to the ball. But uh, we've seen we've not seen a whole lot of wrinkles in this offense. And I feel as the season goes on, I feel like there's a lot of things Mike Bobo's holding back. He's, he, he's, uh, he's not wanting to reveal. And a storyline heading into this LSU game, right, is how focused was Auburn on LSU? How much were they game planning for the next week? We may see some offensive wrinkles. We may see some things dialed up that we've not seen before. We may see some more diverse things, right? That was the that was the the point of emphasis in the offseason is how multiple this offense was going to be. And I think it has been. They have shown us something different almost in every game. There has been – the base has been built upon each week, I feel like, and there has been massive variations. I mean, me and you come into the studio – every week and we talk about something cool that we saw like just a few moments ago when we were talking about the two-back set we didn't see that at all this year until that game against Georgia State so I think they are throwing different things on film but it hasn't exploded right yet. I was about to say they've not gotten like aggressive with it like it's not no. gotten to the point where it's like you know how early on in 2013 with Malzahn's offense it's like there's so much going on we don't know how to stop this I think we're not going to see stuff like that with Auburn this season but I think we're it's going to get to a point where within a game we're like there's so many looks Auburn could throw at this team right now that it I feel confident in my offense because at some point they're going to lash out with that aggression and it's going to be something that the, the that the opposing defense just hasn't seen yet it's kind of like they're starting the fire right now but the fire hasn't caught yet and I'm waiting to see when that happens and I get the feeling this is the game where it happens you just got to make things right for the quarterback which brings us to our last position group here on the offensive side of the ball before we go to break we're taking a look at it and I know we've gone on a little bit of a rabbit hole because the running backs are so fun to talk about but we are taking a look at each of these position groups today and asking ourselves which team has the advantage receivers which team has the advantage? I think it's LSU. I think they've got a lot of talent at that position, but Keyshawn Boutte alone is just like, he, he's, he's an exceptional receiver. I agree with you. I was about to say, I don't think it's really close, but on the flip side, I do think we're seeing a couple of Auburn receivers burst onto the scene that maybe weren't getting the opportunities early on, namely Kobe Hudson, yes. which gives me a lot more faith in this receiving core down the line that there is potential for them to improve because someone who I think is improving and is balling out right now This is your go-to guy. Kobe Hudson is doing very little wrong at this point. Very little in the passing game. He is as sure-handed as it gets in that room. Eli Stove-esque. And prior to the season starting, who did we compare to Eli Stove? 
Kobe? Kobe Hudson. Javarius Johnson to a degree, but I think Kobe Hudson is playing in a similar realm yes. as what Eli Stove was in the previous offense as far as the different wide receiver positions. And look at Kobe Hudson right now, man. He's as sure-handed as it gets. I think he's honestly probably the best route runner out of the group other than Javarius Johnson. I think those are the two best route runners. And I don't even know why we didn't see Demetrius Robertson last week, whatever was going on with that, because apparently he was available, and he's available for this Saturday as well. But these receivers, man, they have talent. They just aren't refined yet. And I think part of that is the inexperience, right? And I think we're going to see as this season progresses and as next year comes, I think we're going to see these guys kind of step into to their roles to the fullest extent, right? I think we're going to see Kobe blossom. I think we're going to see Javaris Johnson blossom. We potentially have some really talented receivers outside of Amari Kelly. We could see Dar- Dar- uh, Darius Clemens as an Auburn recruit in the future. We could see him on the field next season. Auburn at the receiver position right now, I know we're going through some issues, but looking down the line this season and next year, I think there's a lot of promise. We're going to head to a quick break here on On the Line, and when we come back, we've got our interview with Lee Scott football head coach Buster Daniel to preview tonight's ball game against the Bessemer Academy Rebels. You don't want to miss that here on On the Line. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner here now joined by Lee Scott football head coach Buster Daniel for the Friday edition of the show. Coach, how you doing today? Man, I am wonderful. Great weather. Just, uh, just, just great to be a warrior. Coach, big game against Bessemer Academy tonight, but I want to start with last week. What did you see out of your team against Springwood where you guys won 43-0 to on the road? Well, I saw uh, our guys do exactly what they needed to do. Uh, we knew Springwood wasn't as good as we were. They're a uh, rebuilding program with a new football coach. Um, but our guys went out and did exactly what they're supposed to do. You know, when you're better than a team, you got to go out and, you know, pose your wheel on them and, and, and put them out of the game early. And that's what we did. You know, we scored 37 points in the first quarter and um, got all the starters out and let the young guys play. And, and uh, it was a great night for the uh, for the Warriors and, and uh, got a lot of young guys there to play our Lee Scott Sports Network Player of the Week this week is Andrew Hahn, and he was a Player of the Week earlier in the season for defense. This week, it was for offense. He had 47 yards, two touchdowns. What did you see out of Andrew Hahn carrying the football? And he's only a sophomore. Hey, he did a great job. You know, he, he ran extremely hard, as did the rest of them, you know. Uh, but he's Player of the Week, so, hey, we're talking about Andrew. He had a great night. Uh, not many touches, like I said, on 47 yards, and that was all in the first quarter, so. Uh, he also made a big hit on a kickoff and uh, played defense extremely well. So he was probably your good, good choice of player of the week. Of course, you mentioned the other guys. Jonathan Myers scored a touchdown. Landry Cochran, Phillips Lane. Hope I'm not missing anybody, but a lot of dudes scored last week against Springwood. Let's talk about some of the other guys because you had to balance carries last week. Oh, absolutely. You know, and Anderson Grimes scored one also. But, uh, you know, some of those guys you call him, Landry Cochran, I think that might have been his first touchdown. Uh, he is, he's carried the ball, but he's primarily uh, a big-time blocker for us, open holes for other guys. So we will give him a chance to, to run the ball on Friday night. And uh, he scored a touchdown. And uh, Phillips Lang, uh, this is first year playing football, so we gave him a opportunity to get a score, and he did at the end of the game there. And, uh, you know, it, just, it was just a great night for those other guys that don't get to carry the ball very much. To get off here to carry it and pick up yards and uh, help the team and, you know, and get a touchdown. That's, that's, that's something they'll always remember. Switching to this week now against Bessemer. I know you guys had an early practice on Thursday. Take me through what this week has been like out on the practice field. Well, you know, we have 
we had three days on the practice field before our Thursday practice. And, you know, one of them was a really good practice. The other two was just not so much. And, uh, you know, you gotta, you gotta expect sometimes kids are not going to be focused all the time. And, you know, we, we talked about that at the end of practice on Wednesday, but we got to be focused and we got to get better each and every day. And, uh, you know, we had a couple of days this week that we didn't get better. Um, it still, well, they went backwards, but we didn't get better at those times. We talked about it. And then, uh, you know, we had an early morning practice on Thursday at 5.45 a.m. And, uh, you know, still dark. We got to turn on lights on the game field and went down there and, and had a much better practice. The guys were enthused. They were fired up and had a good time running around and, and just going through a practice. But uh, overall, good week. Uh, I think we're prepared and ready to go and, uh, and look for big things against Bedford tonight. At the midway point of the season now, you guys have played five games. There's four left. After five games, maybe where, what are some areas that you'd like to see your guys improve in that can help them take the next step to be a state championship caliber team? Well, and it's not really as far as the game. I, I, think, I thought we played pretty well the last couple of games, you know, after the Glenwood game. And even the loss of Pike, I thought we played hard uh, for, the, for the whole 48 minutes. But, you know, just, just to understand in practice and um, – and, and, and preparing that we've got to be focused every every minute of every hour on the field. And, uh, you know, this, this, again, they're kids. they got the other things on their mind. Uh, but I, I want to see that improve and, and just be a little more focused at practice is the biggest thing we need to uh, improve on. Switching gears to this Friday night's matchup against Bessemer, you're going on the road to a place and a team that you haven't beaten in quite some time. What's the message to the team as they hit the road for one of the best teams left on their schedule? Well, the message is to change history. Uh, you know, I found out yesterday there's been like nine years since we beat Bessemer. Uh, they beat us twice last year. Uh, it's time for the tide to be changed now, and at least got to take back over and, and be the dominant team in the AISA that I expect them to be. And, uh, you know, and, and, and they can be that. Uh, but just biggest thing is just change the history, and then it starts tonight by, by defeating them, as we did Glenwood earlier in the year. You know, that was a, that was a history changer. Uh, so that, that's kind of what we're looking for, to change history and, uh, and, and just start, start showing people that we are a good football team and we can compete at this level. I know you guys are still searching for respect, not in the rankings this week. Bessemer, Glenwood, Pike, all these teams have respect. What does it take in your experience as a coach to get respect from folks around the state and then from the people writing about you guys? Well, I just, just continue to, to play and and uh, be a physical team on the field. You know, the, the rankings don't mean anything. That's that's for, for fans and, you know, everybody has to talk about. Same thing as in college. But, you know, rankings don't really mean anything to me. I know what kind of team we've got. Uh, but, but the respect from other teams and other coaches to say, hey, these guys are for real. That means more to me than in, uh, than any ranking. You know, we could be number one in the state, you know, and then get beat the next week. So who knows? But, you know, just, just having respect from other teams and know that we are a good football team. they got to contend with us. Uh, that's what we're looking for. What are you seeing on film from the Bessemer Rebels? I see a good football team. You know, they're well coached. Uh, they all they they too are going through a first year coach. Uh, you know, Coach Josh Wright went to TA last year. His brother took over Jonathan this year. Um, so he's going through some first year growing pains also. But they're still a really good football team. We've got to play really well to be able to win on Friday night, um, each and every week. But you know, especially especially tonight against Bessemer because they got a lot of history, a lot of tradition. Uh, and they're not going to just lay down for us. So we've got to play well to have a chance to win the game. What are those keys for tonight's ball game? Well, the biggest thing is control the clock, take care of the football, which we've done, you know, for the first, first five games of the season. You know, we don't have much turnovers. We've got to continue that, uh, and we've got to be able to stop the run. they got a good running back at number one. Um, 
quarterback's a pretty good runner, but we've got to be able to control the ball and, and stop the run on defense. Coach, I appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today. Good luck tonight. Hey, thanks a lot, and good Warriors. That was Lee Scott football head coach Buster Daniel on the line with us. We'll be back with more on the other side of this break. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner here with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. We got Zach Blackerby of the Locked On Auburn podcast with us for the Friday edition of the show. Zach, it's almost time for the Tiger Bowl. How are you doing today? Man, I'm good. A little later in the week. This is fun. Yeah, we get to preview the game the day before a massive, massive road trip for the Auburn Tigers to Baton Rouge. But first, I think we should tackle all of the different storylines, maybe even look back a little bit to Georgia State from last week. Of course, we've had all week to talk about Georgia State, but I want some brief thoughts from you about that game against the Panthers. Do you think that it is more closely aligned to the fluky side of the spectrum or these ugly problems could rear their heads throughout the rest of the season? Um, they didn't look like they kind of, uh, were a unit, right? I think there's a lot of talent on this team, but I don't think they always play together. And look, Georgia state brought a lot of guys close to the line of scrimmage. Um, any team in college football can do that. And so if you're not able to hit wide open receivers, uh, that's a problem. That is a problem. And it didn't just happen one or two times. And that's not the only time it's happened this season. So that specific issue could um, could rear its ugly head again. We'll have to see exactly what happens there and how Brian Harson and Mike Bobo and this offensive coaching staff deals with that moving forward. The defense, not as worried about. Um, I think I think Jacoby McClain, and Papo, bigger parts of this offense that I think we realized because Chandler Wooten and uh, Wesley Steiner came in against Penn State and there didn't seem to be like much of a drop-off, but you also kind of got to wonder how much time do they spend prepping for Georgia State. You got to feel they're all in on LSU. So uh, I don't think it's too big of a deal, but we'll have a better idea, I think, after tomorrow's game. Of course, going back to your comments there about the offensive side of the football, other teams are going to bring players into the tackle box, and the best way to get those players out of it is to have a competent passing game, and that centers on the quarterback controversy. What is your take on what Auburn should do on Saturday at the quarterback position? I think they should go with T.J. Finley. I think they will start Bo Nix, so that's going to be fun to see how they handle that and, and what Harson and Bobo thinks uh, they need to do with their uh, their offense moving forward. But, yeah, I think Finley um, – I think it adds a lot to the energy. I mean, it's felt like a pretty flat football team at times this year. It did not when T.J. Finley was in in the game. How much of that is Finley? How much of that is a change? How much of that is not Bo Nix? I, I, don't, I don't know the answer to that. It's probably a combination of all three to some extent. But um, on the road, you know, we, we've heard it time and time again, Bo Nix is not good on the road, even though I thought he was fine against Penn State. Um Finley's used to playing here uh, in, in Baton Rouge, so maybe that's something that can help out the Tigers. But uh, all in all, like you got to think they have split a bunch of reps this week, both of them in, in different uh, public interviews with radio shows and podcasts and the like. They both said similar things, uh, so similar messages where it's like, hey, yeah, we haven't been told anything. We're just kind of going as if it's business as usual. And the fact that Harson kind of said a similar thing in his Monday presser, and then when they released the depth chart, uh, the weekly depth chart that they send to media members, Bo Nix was listed as a starter. 
to me, I just think all of those things add up to one thing, and that's Bo Nix is expected to start on Saturday. Could they be leading, uh, you know, LSU uh, down a path where they have to prepare for two quarterbacks? Sure, I think that makes a lot of sense. I also think this LSU coaching staff knows Bo Nix plenty well, and they definitely know T.J. Finley during his time that they spent there. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. But, yeah, if I had to guess, uh, I, I'm, I'm predicting that it's Bo Nix. But, uh, yeah, I, I think it's best for the Tigers for them to go with T.J. Finley. Of course, take pro football focus metrics grades at face value and with a grain of salt but there are some interesting splits there between Bo Nix and TJ Finley one that I want to ask you about and then get you to dive in the film that we have on TJ Finley but when these two quarterbacks have faced pressure they have vastly different statistics according to pro football focus Bo Nix five for 19 no touchdowns no picks somewhere in the 40s in terms of yardage. I think it's like 45 yards. TJ Finley, 7 for 11. I think he's got more than 80 yards and then a touchdown, which, of course, was the one to thrown to Shedrick Jackson Mm -hmm. this past weekend. Of course, the sample size is a little different, but that's 11 attempts attempts versus pressure for TJ Finley versus 19 for Bo Nix. So really not that different. And we've still gotten to see TJ Finley in two or three games this year. So what are you seeing on film from TJ that makes you feel good about starting him on Saturday? He, uh, I mean, his launch point, you know, when he lets go of the football in his throwing motion, it's so high. So it doesn't matter what's in front of him or what's around him. He's going to be able to get so much velocity on the football. He can squeeze some things in there, assuming he's accurate enough to do it. So you got to love that. But you know, you're talking about specific to pressure. We talked about this throughout the summer. I think the biggest trade in TJ Finley that we saw from his LSU stuff was he'll stand in the pocket and absolutely get clobbered, but still deliver the pass. I mean, he's a tough dude. Probably a little bit easier to do when you're six, seven, and massive human being, but you can tell he's got confidence. You can tell he has poise. And then also regarding the pressure, uh, you know, he does such a good job moving around when he is moving around, keeping his head downfield, keeping his eyes downfield. And I think Bo Nix does an okay job of that too at times, but. Um, yeah, I mean, I think you saw that with uh, the catch to Elijah Canyon um, on the sideline. That was great. And then, obviously, the touchdown that you mentioned to Shedrick Jackson uh, that was the eventual game winner there. So, uh, I think he does a lot of things to like when, uh, when pressure is being brought his way. Outside of that, you look at TJ Finley. He's also not afraid to pull the trigger. And although he missed on some throws, three or four, that he had an open receiver – you still got to like the confidence that he has to pull the trigger in intermediate areas over the middle of the field where it just doesn't seem like Bo Nix is pulling the trigger the same amount of times. Uh, yeah, and, you know, how much of that is coaching? How much of that is play style? I, I don't know the answer to that specifically, but we all know that Finley has an arm. I mean, that's kind of been the biggest uh, – one of the biggest talking points when, when talking about Finley is, you know, he's a massive dude and then also – He's got a really strong arm, an absolute bazooka, and can, you know, throw it way downfield. Now, does Auburn have the receiving threat to really make that extremely relevant at the moment? I don't know. So far, that hasn't really been the case. But, you know, Auburn was able to, to hit one deep dance on Schwartz last year. Maybe they could figure something out with, with a Malcolm Johnson Jr., who's a similar style guy, got that elite speed. Um but, yeah, yeah, I think it's good. I think it's a good thing, especially like you mentioned earlier, Noah, with a lot of teams being willing to stack the box to stop Tank Bigsby and Jarquez Hunter. The best way, like you said, is to stretch the field vertically 
And yeah, maybe Finley's the best candidate to do that. Now let's assess the wide receiver position because there was a coaching change made this past weekend heading into this week, and that's just another layer to another storyline-laden Tiger Bowl. This wide receiver position, what do you know about it? Uh, I mean, I, I think it's going to be fun to see the different rotations in regards to, all right, is it going to be you know Malcolm Johnson Jr. starting again uh, along with you know, guys like Cedric Jackson, what does his role look like? I mean, he's had a different role in pretty much every game this season. Um, it's, it's clear that the coaching staff likes him, but, you know, what kind of role should he be doing? Um, we'll, we'll see if that changes. And, look, Auburn fans want to see more of, of uh, you know, some of these other, other guys, Elijah Canyon, Zevion Capers. I mean, these are guys that are, are, are somewhat proven. But, man, the, the story of the wide receivers is Kobe Hudson. I mean, he has become – a really, really solid SEC wide receiver, um, despite some odds kind of being stacked against him, one, in regards to the depth chart, and then two, just as far as scheme goes, I, I think he's done a really good job capitalizing on some things. I know a lot of people remember, you know, that that really unfortunate fumble in the first play of the second half against Penn State. I think that's just really bad luck. I hate that it happened to him, but he's done such a good job bouncing back from that. So, yeah, I, I mean – when you ask me about the receivers, I'm thinking about Kobe Hudson, how much better he's gotten so far. Take me through what you think and what you thought about Auburn deciding to move on from Cornelius Williams. Uh, sounds like there needs to be a change. I, I don't think it really matters. No, I know a lot of people have made a big deal of this, and a lot of people are criticizing Coach Harson for it. And I, I just I, I don't think you're going to really see anything that that's that noticeably different when it's all said and done. I think it's helpful that Harson's worked with him in the past. I think it's helpful that Harson clearly trusts this guy. But, you know, I, Cornelius Williams seems like an up-and-comer, and he still may be by all counts. But I just – I don't think it's really going to make that big of an impact, his decision one way or the other. But Harson's doing what he thinks best to, to make Auburn a better football team, a better football program. And I think it's just uh, a different type of situation than what we've dealt with in the past. And I think, um, I think a lot of people are kind of shocked by it at times. Speaking with Zach Blackerby of the Locked on Auburn podcast here with us on the Friday edition of On the Line. Let's switch gears now to Baton Rouge, a place that you haven't won at since 1999. And here's my takeaway from this. You're going to learn a lot about where this team's culture is at and if all of this nonsense that has transpired over the last two weeks, a loss at Penn State and then a nasty game against Georgia State, a coach gets fired, you got a quarterback controversy. If this team goes out to LSU and they play flat and they just get beat, that'll tell you a lot about where this culture is set in at and where this team is at in the locker room at this point. I don't know. Do you agree with that statement? I think this game could go a million different ways. No, I mean, like if they if you like if they go out there and just get clobbered, obviously that's going to be something. But I mean, think about the different ways that this result could spin off. I mean, if Bo Nix starts and the offense looks really bad and they lose, I think that's going to tick a lot of the fan base off. If Finley comes in and looks competent, you know, maybe there's hope for the future once he gets more reps. Or what if whoever quarterback starts and Auburn loses in a shootout 42 to 35 or something like that, then are people pitching a fit about Derek Mason and the defense? I mean, there could be, regardless of what happens, there's going to be a major knee-jerk reaction, whether it's justified or not, I don't know, 
in regards to one certain direction, and it's probably going to be targeted at one specific person, depending on how it goes, or Auburn wins this thing, and the fan base has forgotten about everything that's happened over the past two weeks, and they're excited, and they're ready to host Georgia next week. So, uh, I mean, this is a big game, and it's a big game for both programs. It's a huge game for both programs. I mean, you're looking at a situation where uh, possibly Ed Orgeron, you know, a lot of people were questioning if he would be able to keep his job um, over the course of the full uh, the full season after that, that loss to UCLA. I think they look fine against Mississippi State. Then all of a sudden they host an Auburn team that if, if LSU is able to beat Auburn, I mean, their, their trajectory of the season looks totally different. And then Auburn's in the similar situation. If Auburn loses on Saturday, a lot of people are going to be mentally checked out because then you got to play Georgia. I don't think there's any chance Auburn beats Georgia. And so then it's just like, well, what do you do? How do you save the season if you're Brian Harson and keep these guys focused and engaged? So there's a lot, a lot at stake Saturday night in LSU. Breaking down the matchups here, it seems like these two teams pinpoint each other's weaknesses. LSU loves to throw the football. Auburn secondary right now, they love to give up yards through the passing game. Auburn loves to run the football. LSU can't stop the run. What are you seeing in these matchups between these two squads? Yeah, I mean, both offenses should be able to move the football. You got to think Auburn's running game is ready to have a big one. Um, I'm curious to see what Auburn's defensive line does. Every LSU person I've talked to thinks that this is one of the worst offensive lines that LSU's ever had. So I think as far as rushing the passer, what is that going to look like defensively for the, uh, for the Auburn Tigers? Then on the other side of it, this LSU defensive front, they, uh, they're really good at rushing the passer. So what is the, what is the game plan in attacking that? I've been really impressed with Auburn's offensive line. They've gotten a lot of hate uh, over the past week based on the outcome of the Georgia State game. I think the offensive line looked good, uh, and I'm going to stand by that. And I think when people go back and actually watch it, I think you'll realize there's too many guys to block a lot of these situations. I think the offensive line is fine. So um, how do they hold up against LSU, especially in situations where they only send four guys or so? What is that going to look like? Can they hold their own still moving forward? So I think a lot of it, Noah, like any – game in the SEC it's going to be won and lost in the trenches fun statistics here for you and then I want your thoughts on it then we'll let you get out of here according to pro football focus LSU only blitzed Will Rogers I shouldn't even say only they didn't blitz Will Rogers zero percent of the time and then UCLA they only blitzed Dorian Thompson Robinson eight percent or a little over that rather this LSU team still getting to the quarterback just by sending three or four players. But you got to think, if Auburn's communication's on point, they should be able to handle that. Only four sacks, only excuse me, only five sacks across the Mississippi State and UCLA games is what LSU's been able to get. Yeah, I think, I think the game plan is going to be different for LSU. I think it has to be because I don't think they're going to respect – Auburn's passing game as much as they respected those other teams' passing game. That's just my guess. That's just my thoughts. So you think they're going to bring more? uh, Or I think they're going to at least line up more guys close to the line of scrimmage. It may not be blitzes, but you may see more more guys on the defensive front. Um, But, I mean, LSU's linebackers, just talking to LSU folks throughout the week, LSU's linebackers are built for coverage. They're not built – to, to stop the run and, you know, shed, shed, you know, pulling guards or guys that are, you know, blocking linebackers. They're not built for that. And so you, how do you combat that is you play guys close to the line of scrimmage um, when guys want to run at you and you're trying to win those gaps. So 
That's what I think is going to happen. Zach, I appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today. Tell everybody where they can find all of your great content. Yeah, Locked on Auburn, wherever you get your podcasts. Also on YouTube. Would really appreciate that. And then, of course, if you're in the Auburn, Opelika, Lee County area, uh, you can listen to me every morning, 6 to 9, on Auburn, Opelika this morning. That's on News Talk WANI 98.7 FM. Thanks, Noah. Appreciate it, Zach. We'll be back on the other side of this break. You're listening to On the Line. Wrapping up hour number one of the Friday edition of On the Line. Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. Once again, I want to remind everybody, pre-recorded show today. I am probably halfway up the road to Birmingham, Alabama as Lee Scott football takes on the Bessemer Academy Rebels. I'll be doing play-by-play tonight on the Lee Scott Sports Network. Check out live radio coverage starting at 6.30 p.m. with the Lee Scott football kickoff show. Once again, on AU100, 100.3 FM here in the Auburn, Opelika area, or watch the ball game on the Lee Scott Sports Network Facebook page. But Lance, without further ado, it is time for one of our favorite segments of the week, Saturday Selections. Let's do it. Saturday selections. All right, Lance, things aren't going well. I am 37 and 23 on the year. Last week, I think I went 10 and 5. Can you confirm? Yes, you, you did go 10 and 5. Sting went, let's see, if I went 12 and 3, that means Sting went 11 and 4. Yeah, so Sting 11 and 4, me 12 and 3, you 10 and 5. Let me tell you, I was feeling myself after Notre Dame dominated Wisconsin. I said, oh, buddy, my gut. Knows what it's talking about. Wrong. After that, it went south. Stupid Texas A&M. <laughs> Talk bad about y'all all summer long. And then the moment that I pick y'all to beat Arkansas, I can't do it. I'm off for the rest of the year. That's not me saying that I'm picking A&M to beat Mississippi State today because I still don't feel great about it. But Hey, though, I will give you credit because in the offseason, we have been talking for months about that being an upset. So I, I, I give offseason us credit. I'm telling you, A&M looks so bad right now, I could see them finishing last. I can see it. If they lose to Mississippi State today, it's over. They're finishing last in the SEC West. Remember all the hatred, the vitriol that was thrown at me on the social <laughs> on media Twitter, yeah. from Texas A&M fans, all because I had them finishing sixth? Yeah, how's it feel now? Cry about it. <laughs> Do it. You won't. You are 43 and 17. I am in last, 37 and 23. Let's get it going. Friday night, college football, FS1, 7 p.m. Let's take it out to the Big Ten out on the East Coast. Snapping turtles, Maryland Terrapins taking on fifth-ranked Iowa. Iowa's got something to prove. And we talked about it on yesterday's show. I was like, man, I don't think Iowa's a top-five team right now. And I think over the course of the next two weeks, they're going to get exposed. This game, I think they get exposed. I'm taking Maryland to win at home. Talia Tungavailoa is playing fantastic right now. Ten, one, or yeah, 10 touchdowns, one interception, 1,340 yards passing. That offense cannot be stopped. Now, if there's a defense that could stop them, it's probably Iowa's, right? But at home, I really like what Maryland's got going right now. It's a night game. You don't get out of College Park alive. Iowa does not. You know, while Maryland's defense may not be phenomenal, If there's a defense that could stop Iowa's offense, it's Iowa's offense, if that makes sense. (laughs) Yes, yes, that makes perfect sense. I understand what you're saying. They're only averaging 293 yards per game. We're on the street. That's not good. It's not good. And they've played Colorado State and Kent State the last two weeks, ladies and gentlemen. This offense ain't it. Give me Maryland. I've been calling this one for weeks now. 
I hope it happens. I want to see these Terrapins, the fighting Scott Van Pelt, as someone close to me once said. Who said that? I believe it was Sting that I said I think that he said it time. yesterday. I want to see the fighting Scott Van Pelt knock off the Hawkeyes. SEC 11 a.m. as we head to Saturday now. ESPN didn't expect to get a top 10 matchup at 11 a.m. when this schedule was made. Number two, Georgia undefeated. Number eight, Arkansas. 18 and a half point favorites are the dogs. And it feels kind of weird, right, to have college game day come to Athens and then as soon as college game day wraps up, we're going to an 11 a.m. kick between Happened two top 10 Happened last week, teams. though. You want to talk about weird? Big noon kickoff and game day were at the same game last week, and it was at 11 a.m. This doesn't feel right. And this game does not feel right either for Arkansas. There's a reason why that line is so high. I'm taking the Bulldogs to win this one. It's simple. It's just Georgia has way too much talent on both sides of the ball to get beat on their home turf. They're not going to choke this game. And while KJ Jefferson and that offensive line, they may be establishing the ground game right now over the course of these first four games. I don't think Arkansas is going to be able to do it against Georgia's run. It's just not going to happen. It's all about what happens in between the tackles. And Georgia has the edge there. Now, Arkansas, go out there, prove it to me. Prove, prove me wrong. Prove to me that you belong inside the top 10 because the passing game ain't it at Arkansas either. They can spring some big plays, but it's not there consistently. What they do is they beat you on the ground in the trenches. That's what a barbecue pit master like Sam Pittman would do, right? Throwing that back to our show yesterday from that graphic that Saturday Down South put out with coaches and what they look like with their jobs in case people didn't catch that reference. But Arkansas is about running the football. Don't think they're going to be able to do it against Georgia. Georgia with a big win. I also think they very well may cover. Wisconsin against number 14, Michigan. Wolverines on the road. But Wisconsin still favored with that 1-2 and two record by two points. 11 a.m. Fox. And Vegas is smoking something on this one. If you've seen Michigan play and you've seen Wisconsin play. But the Rutgers game, though, only 20-13. to 13. <sighs> I don't feel good about it. I'm going to take Michigan to win this game. I think they're on the right track this season. After I said in the offseason, I didn't even know if they're going to make a bowl. Because I didn't know who their quarterback was going to be, and I didn't know if that defense was going to be able to step up. It has so far, and I think it's going to step up in this game as well. Wisconsin, that program is dying with Graham Mertz as the quarterback. They're going to lose this Saturday. And there's talent there for Graham Mertz. There is. I believe that. There is talent for Graham Mertz in that pocket for Wisconsin. But right now, that offense struggling tremendously. They can't stretch the field. That's why I like Michigan to win this football game against Wisconsin establish the ground game play some good defense i'm expecting a 17 to 16 type of game maybe a kicker wins it for him a soccer player in michigan puts it through the upright this is pure big 10 football 11 a.m kick between two teams like wisconsin michigan this is just this is pure big 10 football right here like you said it's gonna be like a 17 to 10 type of game that's it for hour number one of on the line we'll be back with hour number two coming up on the other side of this break more saturday selections on the way are on the line live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on Fox Sports 983.com and ESPNAU.com you are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502 Hour number two of On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. 
pre-recorded show for you guys today. So sorry for the callers out there. We want to hear from you, but I'm on the road up to Birmingham, Alabama to see the Lee Scott Academy Warriors taking on the Bessemer Academy Rebels and some high school football tonight calling that game this evening on AU100. That's 100.3 FM here, one of our sister stations in the Auburn-Opelika area. So make sure you tune into that ball game tonight. But we'll be back with you on Monday for all of the calls, all of the takes that you got for whatever happens in Baton Rouge. But we appreciate you guys for joining us today. Hour number two of On the Line, a big thank you there to Lee Scott football head coach Buster Daniel and Zach Blackerby of the Locked on Auburn podcast for joining us in that first hour for some great interviews and some great information on not only Lee Scott football, but as well as Auburn's upcoming game against LSU tomorrow. We're going to start off hour number two, similar to how we started off the show today, which is breaking down the position groups and saying which of these teams has an advantage when comparing those position groups together. For example, quarterback versus quarterback. Who has the advantage? And you and I both said LSU has the advantage at quarterback. Running back, Auburn. Wide receiver, LSU. Offensive line, Auburn. That's what we said for the offense. Now we are getting into the defense. Defensive line versus defensive line. Who has the better one? Auburn or LSU? Who's got the advantage? I want to say Auburn for some reason in this game because Auburn right now, according to to SEC statistics, two of the top five pressure rate leaders in the SEC come from Auburn, Colby Wooden and T.D. Moultrie at third and fourth, respectively. But I, I will say LSU simply because of the amount of sacks and tackles for loss that they've gotten this year. This is two-headed. I think run-stopping it is Auburn. I think pass rush, it's LSU because LSU has shown, at least in the UCLA game, not as much in the Mississippi State game, but I'm kind of writing off the Mississippi State game here because their offense naturally is to get the football out of Will Rogers' hands in like two seconds. Very short passing concepts, very quick. It's not designed to leave him there in the pocket. They only got one sack on him, but they also blitzed 0% of the time, and that is not hyperbole. That is according to Pro Football Focus, that they blitzed Will Rogers 0% of the time. Only blitzed Dorian Thompson-Robinson, though, 8% of the time against UCLA, and they were able to get four sacks. So it's kind of a mixed bag there. I would give the pass rush to LSU. They're able to get pressure on the opposing quarterback without bringing a blitz, but I would give run stopping to Auburn. So it's, I would say they're about, can I say equal or do I have to give an advantage? I think it's fair to say that it's equal. I think it, right right now, if we're going to go down the line and, and just decide which team has an advantage, I think it's fair to say the defensive line, based on different things they do, I think it's fair to say it's equal. Is LSU's pass rush so much better than Auburn's? that they might that might tip the scales there because as LSU's not awful in run stopping they're just kind of average they're not that good they're like what Auburn was last year right I think I think potentially I think that pass rush could be a factor in this game especially on the road but Auburn's run stopping ability up until the Georgia State game uh ha- has has been pre- that was rectified in the second half it was it's been pretty darn good this season 100 well let's move to linebackers here and I think this is where you and I will both agree it is the Auburn Tigers, assuming they are healthy. Absolutely. If Papo is healthy, 100%. Even if he's not, I still feel comfortable giving the edge to Auburn in this game. Chandler Wooten did not expect a lot out of him heading into the season, but we had half a game without Sakobi McLean. We had a whole game last week without Owen Papo and Chandler Wooten in their absence, even in the Penn State game. This entire season, he stepped up. He's Auburn's current leading tackler. They've got a three-headed monster, I believe, at that group if Wooten's going to play to that level throughout the entire season. They've been really good. I agree with you. These guys fly over, fly all over the place. You look at Zacoby McLean and what Auburn was missing in that first half. Zacoby McLean steps out of the field. The defense automatically looks different. 
Zacoby McClain, I don't know where his draft stock is going to be undersized for a linebacker. I wonder how that plays into the draft process. But I'll tell you, he's as elite as they come in this league in terms of run stoppers, tacklers, making plays. He's fearless. Owen Papo as well. LSU just doesn't have that same type of impact ability in the center of their defense as evidenced by how they've stopped the run this year. An air raid football team was able to get over 100 yards on the ground against them last week and average over four and a half yards per carry. And I, that does not bode well uh, for, for, for LSU. If Auburn wants to run the ball, look, I know Georgia State stacked the box, but still they managed to average 4.7 yards a pop. If they want to run, load the box, LSU does. I still think that this Auburn offense can get the ground game going. Let's move to the third level here, the secondary. The secondary is a question mark, I feel like, for both of these teams, right? LSU's past defense has not been great this season. Major Burns has been a defensive back that has caused, that has caused some problems for them. Literally, it's not a pun intended. His name is literally na- his name is Major Burns, and he has allowed some, some deep passes this season. On the flip side, you see a guy like Flott in the backfield for LSU make some big plays last week against Mississippi State, an interception against the Bulldogs. Some guys that are stepping up that maybe like Flot, like you didn't expect, considering all eyes were on Stingley and Ricks. Sure, but at the same time, I think overall, you look at what they're giving up in the passing game so far this season. I think if Auburn wants to throw the ball there, it's not like they're LSU's going to be able to shut them down. Vice versa, though, because Auburn's secondary is not is not played well. I know I know they're only given up 185 yards passing so far this season per game. That is, but I think and we've talked about this uh, this week. LSU's passing offense is going to be able to do a lot of different things against Auburn secondary if they don't get it together in terms of the passing game and defending the pass I said earlier this week if you want to see what LSU looks like in the secondary look in a mirror very similar to what Auburn's doing dropping back into a lot of zone coverage allowing these quarterbacks to complete a high percentage which is kind of shocking that that's still occurring despite the fact that LSU leads the league in sacks with 20 they average five sacks of all game and opposing quarterbacks complete 66% of their passes. That's a lot. It's not it's good. very high. Yeah, and I, I think I'll give the, the, the edge here to LSU. I don't feel great about either of these secondaries, and I think that matchup is going to be really important in this game. I think I'm going to give it to Auburn, Okay, which is bewildering considering how they played, and people may think I'm crazy, and they may say, well, they've got Eli Ricks. They've got Derek Stingley. Stingley's not playing in this game, is he? Uh, no, he's not. And that's two so. straight years without Derek Stingley, either not playing or not being at a 100% capacity for LSU. And Auburn took major advantage of that last year, but still breaking down what these two teams do in the secondary. Roger McCreary's good. Smoke Monday can be good. Still some blown coverages there, but he had a major play last week to end that ball game and put it on ice. You never know when you're going to get a Smoke Monday pick six. This dude has three or four pick sixes in his career. He's good for two a, a, two a season. You never know when they're going to come. I mean, he, he's got big play written all over it. He's kind of high risk, high reward, boom or bust. The Jameis Winston of the secondary, if you will. But Auburn's got talent at DB that I just don't think has been used correctly, whereas LSU's cupboard may be running a little thin with Stingley on the bench right now. Yeah. I just don't really trust either of these secondaries all that much. You shouldn't. So if I could, if I could say neither team has an advantage here, I would feel comfortable doing that as well. I just, I do not trust either of them. Special teams. Special teams. I think it's Auburn, and I know Cade York has been pretty good this season. Hasn't missed an extra point. Made all four of his field goals. But Anders Carlson. I mean, last week we got to see it. 
bunch of touchbacks, four or five on his field goals. He's been really good this season. And uh, and in the Penn State game, in which we thought it would be a high pressure situation, I mean, he was he was just clutch. He did what he had to do. So I think I think Anders Carlson is one of the best place kickers in the country. And I think moving forward, I think we're going to get to see that. No, no disrespect to Kate York or LSU's either return or, or, or kick return or punt return units. I think Auburn also hasn't beat there as well. I agree with you. Auburn gets the edge special teams. I think there is the ability to return a kickoff for a touchdown or a punt for a touchdown with this team. Or block something for a touchdown. Yes, We've Barton seen that Lester twice. is a miss. <laughs> it's like every single time something's blocked, Barton Lester's there. Every single time. Barton Lester or Batman? Barton Lester. 100%. Dude, we should have a signal here in Auburn for Barton Lester. Anything goes wrong, to the to the the the, uh, the Lester uh, the Lester signal is what we should do. Barton. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Yeah, I'll give the ads to Auburn there at special teams. But Kate York is very good as well. But I think you look to the things outside of just place kicking, where these two teams are pretty even. Auburn's gotten a lot out of Oscar Chapman, I feel like. He got a lot of work last week. He punted pretty well. Yeah, I believe he averaged over 43 yards a punt. Man, he, that is not that is not something I'm used to hearing. It's it, he, he had a pretty solid outing. And again, it's not just these kickers, right? Auburn's had success in the return game. Auburn's blocked punts and kicks. They've made field goals all around. The emphasis on special teams has been, has been key in some of these games where obviously like in the Alabama State game, it took that blocked field goal to really get Auburn going. Uh, and in, in the uh, in the Georgia State game, it was the blocked punt for a touchdown that got Auburn back into it. Could see something similar uh, against LSU in Death Valley. I think it's something that Auburn is definitely going to be focusing in on. Now, looking at this exercise that we have just completed, saying which team we feel like has the advantage in these position group matchups, I have only given two categories to LSU. I'm giving five to Auburn, and one of which I didn't give to either because I think it legitimately is split between one team's better at run stopping one team is better at pass rush and that was the defensive line group you still have Auburn with the edge four to three right so uh, on paper we've we've gone through the position groups but one position group does matter more than all the others that's quarterback it's really important and that one is LSU that's really really important so do you feel better or worse after this exercise I feel slightly better but still at the end of the day I think you look at the two right now for me the two most important position groups on on this and both of them are in LSU's category right defensive backs and quarterback I think are going to be really important in this game but it it, do I feel more comfortable knowing that I was like oh well now that I've done this exercise running backs in Auburn's favor offensive line is uh, defensive line should be able to have their fair share uh, of solid uh, solid moments in this game linebacker special teams which is still a third of the game that's still very important especially in a game like this it's really important to have solid special teams yes the matchup seems a little closer than I may have thought earlier in the week but I still I don't know why I just don't feel good about it I feel a lot better I'm glad we talked it out but then again I've had a good gut feeling about this game moving forward but also, the thing that scares me the most about this is LSU, I think, does have an advantage at that one spot, not just quarterback, but also at making the other team's quarterback uncomfortable. They also have the receivers to give their quarterback comfortability to give him an advantage. Even if Max Johnson isn't playing his best game, he's got receivers to bail him out. Bonix doesn't have that at this point. It's so much of a shift and a swing in LSU's direction in those categories that it could be enough to make up for all of the others. This is like in a political election winning states with many more representatives in the Electoral College right. 
than you know winning it, the majority vote. Right. I mean, this isn't you know winning. Yeah, exactly. Or or winning a state with like three representatives. Or like, big whoop de do. You know what I mean? Glad you won Maine. You know, like you need Florida. You, know? you need <laughs> Texas, boys. You need California. So I mean, th- these are not th- these are the swing categories, if you will, in our in our conversation here. No disrespect to Maine either. I have no idea how many representatives they have at the electoral college, but I don't remember it being a swing stage. Shout so, out to all our, all our Maine listeners, by the way. If you're out there, <laughs> let us know. Go Black Bears, all right. Go Black Bears, <laughs> but stay away from Black Bears too. Um, so that that scares me a little bit about this game. What is the pathway to victory for Auburn? Pathway to victory for for me is similar to what I thought Auburn was going to do in the Penn State game. They got a little bit away from the ground game. Do they do it again here? I'm not sure, especially with some quarterback issues right now, right? I think the pathway to victory for Auburn is establishing that ground game with both Tank Bigsby and Jarquez Hunter, regardless of the if the box is loaded. You're going to try and establish that. It's your strength. You're on the road. Go out there and make a statement with your ground game. Defensively, I'd like to see Auburn kind of play play some at least a little bit of man with their corners on these receivers because I think Auburn has guys on roster that have played these LSU receivers before that know how to match up with them and blew them out last year. So you got you got to go back to what worked last season. 48 to 11, go and look at that tape. Go and look and see what happened and adjust on the defensive side of the ball because right now, where you're at with your zone, man, whatever you want to call it, right now you're just not in position to make plays. Is communication the biggest part of that? According to Smoke Monday and some of these other players and coaching uh, in the coaching staff it is. But for me, I think it's looking at what happened last year on the defensive side of the ball and executing similarly to what they did last year. At the end of the day, I don't think Auburn has to get superb quarterback play, but they have to get good enough quarterback play to where Auburn can score 28 points in this game. It's got to be good. doesn't have to be great. It can't be average. Average isn't going to win this thing. It's got to be good, but not good. You know, I mean, it's, right. it's got to be good, but it can't be – it doesn't have to be superb. I just think it's it's got to get the job done. It's got to be able to move chains on third and long. It's got to be able to score touchdowns. It's got to be able to put drives together. That will win Auburn this football game. At the end of the day, the quarterback's got to go take it. Whoever it is, I, I, I hate the fact that this is what has devolved into – that that's what this position has evolved into, that every single year we're like, we don't know what the quarterback's going to do. Uh, everybody else has got to step up their game. they got to you know pull this quarterback along. No, you are the quarterback of an SEC football team. Look around the league. Look around the league. Make this your team, own it, and go out there and win a football game. That's what it's got to be. You can't rely on everybody else. At the end of the day, the quarterback position decides it for a lot of football teams. You want to be average? Fine, be average. But don't be ruining the day and be sad and moping because you went to the Birmingham Bowl because you can't complete more than 59% of your passes. You want to take the next step? Take the next step under center. That's what it's got to be. And the question is, who is going to be that guy? And we won't know it. Like Christian said, I don't think on Thursday, I don't think we're going to know until 8 p.m. Now, we may get an answer, sure, that afternoon, but I, I, right now, I don't think we're going to know it until the offense takes its first series. Let's take a quick break here on On the Line. We'll be back. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner here with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. We got Opelika football head coach Eric Speakman with us on the line for the Friday edition of the show. Coach, how you doing today? Hey, doing great. Hope y'all are doing well. Coach, don't want to hover on it for too long, but take me through last week against Central. <laughs> well, that was a pretty bad night for the dogs last week. Uh, 
we went over to Central and and didn't play very well. And Central played played probably their best game of the year. So, uh, pretty rough night for us. Uh, they won 38 to seven. Uh, probably could have been even worse than that. Uh, Patrick did a, did us a favor and kind of ran the ball in the second half, just try to get out of the game without any any injuries for either team. And so we'll move move on this week and go play Russell County in a in a region game. So our next four games are region games, most important games of the year. So uh, we'll we'll move on past that one and uh, focused on a, a big game tonight. And we're focused on talking about your team right here, but I, I do want to ask you, considering there's a big region game between Auburn and Central tonight. I'm curious, what did you see from Central that uh, is making this team so good this year? It seems like Central's back. Yeah, yeah. He, uh, well, number one, the quarterback. Uh, Caleb Nix is playing really well last uh, this year. Last uh, Friday he played really well against us. and uh, They're just real efficient. They don't make many mistakes. Uh, got have a lot of big-time playmakers in uh, number two, number 13 at receiver and have some good running backs. O-line is really good. Not as big as what they've had in the past, but probably better technique-wise. And uh, then defensively, they're front, front four, but they roll in six guys, probably the best that we've seen all year. Flipping the page for you guys now to region play, wrapping it up last four games of the season. What's practice been like this week as you prepare for Russell County? Uh, it's been good. You know, we, we watched the film with the kids last Sunday from the Central game and just showed them a lot of mistakes that we made uh, in, a, in a game that, you know, you can't do that. So that kind of got their focus, and we've had a good week of practice. Uh, they know Russell County's much improved from the, the traditional Russell County teams that they've had in the past. Coach Griggs is doing a great job out there of getting some energy and excitement going. They're sitting at 5-1 and one and uh, with only one loss in the region. So we've got to make sure that we play well tonight and, you know, our goal every every Friday in region play is to be 1-0 and at the end of the night. October, as we get into it now, it's October 1. October is where region championships are won. This is the rest of the season right here. What's left down the stretch for you guys? Well, we play Russell County tonight, and we've got a big game with Lee uh, next week. Uh, they only have one loss in the region. Uh, so you've got a lot of teams in, in our region, which is 6A Region 2, that are that are really good teams. I don't know that any of them are great teams, uh, including Opelika. And uh, I think all of us can beat each other on any given night this year. And uh, so you have to go every week and, and play well. So we'll we'll focus on Russell County tonight and hopefully can go down there and play well and win, and then we'll turn our focus next week to Lee. You bring up Russell County's growth, the energy that Coach Griggs is bringing to that program. What have you seen change? I mean, they, they've put a lot of investment into their stadium. I know they have LED lights. What is changing over at Russell County, and what type of road environment are you expecting? Yeah, you mentioned that they've got new turf, uh, you know, like a, uh, a lot of the schools that have you know, the bigger schools now. And actually, I, I was kind of nice, uh, glad when they, they put the turf in because that puts every game that we have this year on turf. Uh, our Montgomery games, obviously, are on turf, and, and then all of our home games are on turf. So that gives us uh, an advantage as far as not having to play on a, a natural surface right now. Uh, keeps your uh, road jerseys clean, cleaner than grass does. <laughs> so that's a, that's a benefit. But uh, you're right, it's, it's a lot of excitement down there. He's got a lot of kids out that normally haven't played. Uh, they dress, you know, close to 90 kids, and that's the biggest team that they've had in a long time. But uh, a lot of money has been put into their facilities, and the kids are, are buying into it and coming out to play football and enjoy football. You know, it's kind of starting to match their baseball program, which has always been good. Looking at the football team now, that they have dressed out some 90 kids. What are you seeing on film? 
Well, a lot of skill guys have come out. Uh, you know, number two is a really good player for him. Number six, a receiver. Sorry, I don't know names. We just see so much film. We just do jersey numbers. Uh, number one's a little scat back uh, slot receiver that's really good. And then they had a, a, a running back move in. I believe his mom's the principal out there now. And uh, he's a really good player. He's just a junior. And, uh, you know, he's, he's one of the better running backs in our region. What are the keys to win tonight? Uh, biggest thing is maybe create some turnovers. We couldn't do that last week against Phoenix City, and then we gave up too many big plays on defense uh, to a, a really good offense. So you've got to limit those and control the damage you know, on the big passing plays down the field, try to create some turnovers, and then we've always got to be able to run the football. On the offensive side of the ball, what's it going to take to maybe engineer some big plays tonight? Uh, just, you know, hit these deep balls. Uh, we're going to go with Roman Gagliano, who's a sophomore at quarterback. Uh, he's been our most efficient guy throwing the ball down the field. So we're going to start him tonight, see how he does. Uh, but we've got to be able to complete some of our, our post routes and, and go routes, you know, when we throw those. Right now we're not getting any of those completions. So that, all that does is put you in a hole now, second and ten or third and ten after you throw that ball. Coach, appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today. Good luck tonight. All right, thanks, guys. Y'all have a great weekend. Always good to speak with Opelika football head coach Eric Speakman. We'll be back with more of On the Line on the other side of this break. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Fun show so far today, Lance. Yeah, absolutely. And if you've missed any of it, you can go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast. And if you're listening on the podcast, what's up? We appreciate you. Going back to Saturday selections now, Lance and I going back to picking some of college football's action this upcoming Saturday. Lance, you're 43 and 17. I am 37 and 23. Sting, 41 and 19. We've already gotten through a couple of games here. Let's get back to it. Saturday selections. That was loud. What was loud? <laughs> it's like my ears. But I'm really over here thinking, my picks! <laughs> They're falling apart. No. Yeah, this is a tough week for ball games, man. There's a lot of really good football games going around. A lot of games that are not in the top 25 that that are that are going to be fantastic. Like Georgia Tech Pittsburgh is going to be fun. Important games too, though. Like that still matters. That's a big coastal game. That that could be who wins the coastal at the end of the day. One of those two teams. Yes. I can't wait for Georgia Tech Wake Forest come December. I said that earlier this week. I mean, that really could happen. Let's pick it. Georgia Tech, Pittsburgh, 11 a.m., ACC Network. Who will be representing the Coastal between these two teams? Pittsburgh <laughs> is favored by three. I like Pittsburgh and Kenny Pickett in this matchup. He's played phenomenal so far this season. I know Georgia Tech just went and beat up on North Carolina, but I don't know why. I like this Pittsburgh Panthers team. I like what I saw against Tennessee earlier in the season. Give me the Panthers to win this one on the road. I really don't feel good about this after watching what GT did last week to North Carolina, but I too will resonate with you and pick the Pittsburgh Panthers, albeit on the road, but Georgia Tech doesn't have a home field advantage. That yeah. that that is not that's just like a fun <laughs> trip to Atlanta. All right. I don't like it, but I will take Pittsburgh as well. SEC game here. This feels like ball eligibility on the line, potentially for both of these teams. Whoever loses this game, I've got questions whether or not they're going to a bowl game. Missouri, Tennessee, 11 a.m. SEC Network. This is a tough matchup. I don't like this game. I know I put it, I put it on the docket, but I don't like this game. I think there's going to be a lot of offense in this matchup, right? Missouri's defense has not been good up until this point. Tennessee's defense has been so-so. 
Their offense has been fun. I'm going to take Missouri to win this game because Hendon Hooker's health is in question. And if Joe Milton's playing quarterback for the Vols, you can go ahead and just chuck it out of the end zone like he has done on many occasions so far this season. So give me Missouri and Connor Bazelak to get it done. They're so close to winning. Missouri is. I mean, they one score losses to Kentucky and Boston College. If they had won those games, Missouri is 4-0. That is how close. That is what is separating Missouri from doing what we thought they had potential to do we in the preseason. We talked about it. We talked about it. Like, well, look at the, the schedule. It's 50-50 matchups. And they have lost both of them. And that has now put into a question because the schedule only gets tougher from here. Sure, you still get to play South Carolina, Vanderbilt. But, okay, that gets you to four wins. No other game outside of Tennessee, which may get you to five here, even with Tennessee and getting it to five. I still don't know how you get to bowl eligibility. I guess they still have one more non-conference game. Yeah, that would get them to six. So this one's this one's must win for both of these teams if they want to get bowl eligibility. Tennessee's window is closing, though, after losing to Pittsburgh. So this may be more dire and more – it may be a more attainable goal for Missouri to get to bowl eligibility with a win here than Tennessee even getting a win here and still getting back to bowl eligibility. But – I'll go Missouri also here in this ballgame. Moving out to the Big 12, 11 a.m., ABC, TCU, Texas. After seeing the way that offense moved the ball against Texas Tech last week, I got to go Texas in this matchup, right? I got to think Casey Thompson's going to be able to get it done against TCU, who just lost to SMU, and SMU ran all over the Horn Frogs. You think B. John Robinson, the Texas running back, is going to have a good game? He, I think, could potentially be in the Heisman conversation at the end of the year. He's been that good this season. You could see him tear up TCU this weekend. The battle for the Iron Skillet went to the SMU Mustangs. Give me Texas. The fact that SMU won a skillet from TCU (laughs) last week. Texas all the way. Longhorns. Horns up, not down. I think this will be fun, though. Points will be scored. I think it will be a close game. Texas Tech did still score 35 on Texas last week. If you multiply that times two, you get what Texas scored, though. Give me the Longhorns. (laughs) Number 24, Wake Forest against Louisville, 11.30 a.m. This is not a game I feel great about, but I'm going to pick Wake Forest in that offense to go on the road and get it done. I feel like every time this year I've said I'm going to trust in an offense to get something done and win a game, I've been wrong. I'm going to keep saying it until it's right. Wake Forest and that offense is going to go on the road and beat up Louisville. Just got into the top 25, which is what scared me. Don't start believing in that rat poison demon Deacons. Don't start believing it. It's the perfect time for Wake Forest to lose and drop right back out. But I'm going to pick them anyway. (laughs) Same. I think they're that much better than Louisville. Louisville almost lost to Florida State last week. He almost lost to Florida State. I got you losing to my boys in Wake Forest. (laughs) Winston-Salem, baby. I've driven through that area once. It was pretty. (laughs) My boys. I've seen the place once. Number nine, Notre Dame against number seven, Cincinnati. 1.30 p.m. NBC. You know it. You know who I'm picking. This is a playoff game for the group of five. This is like asking who the tribute's going to be, who they're going to try. And, look, guys, we, there's a group of five conference somewhere. It, like It's like a little cult thing. And they're like, we've got to figure out who is our best candidate to send to this thing. That's pretty much it right here. Yeah, I'm picking Cincy to win this game. Look, Notre Dame in every single stinking matchup this year, they've not looked good. They just not. They've not looked dominant. But you keep picking against them. And I keep picking against them. And every week. They're going to lose one day, Noah. They're going to lose one day. <laughs> I will not pick this team to win a ball game ever. Never. Even to the detriment of my record. I will not pick Notre Dame to win. No, won't do it. Picking Cincy to win this game. Desmond Ritter is not as good of a quarterback as a lot of people think he is, at least in my opinion. But I think since he gets it done, just because. <laughs> just because. This is not a gut game. This is just because. Defense. That's why. And I think it's better at Cincy. 
Next game, Lance, you take me through it. Number one, Alabama at home against number 12, Ole Miss. Line is currently at 14 and a half, 2.30 p.m. kick on CBS. This is going to be a tough one for Alabama because last year in Oxford against a just a porous Ole Miss defense, it was, still it was still close until the end of the game. If this was in Oxford, I would pay take the Ole Miss Rebels to win this game, but it's in Tuscaloosa. I'm going to go ahead and give my pick. I think Alabama wins this game. Why? Because Bryce Young, even under pressure so far this season, right? That's been the storyline. The offensive line has not been able to, to keep him in the pocket. But whenever he's gone out, he's made the right decision almost every single time. He's been so calm under pressure. He's been poised. Whenever the pressure gets to him, he's just made the right read. And I think against an Ole Miss defense that has improved, he is going to be able to still make enough decisions to where it gets Alabama over the hump. High scoring, obviously. I think it's going to be a fun game. But Bryce Young being able to handle the pressure at home, I think is the difference maker in this one. Alabama, for all the reasons that you pointed out, I still don't trust this Ole Miss team. Defense, that's the reason why. Next game. Kansas State at home against number six, Oklahoma, 2.30 p.m. kick on Fox. This is a game that Oklahoma's not won in two years. And I, I don't feel great about it. You look at the way that Oklahoma's playing right now. Took a walk-off field goal to beat West Virginia at home last week. I am going to pick the Sooners, though. Streaks die. I like what Kansas State's doing, but they just got off a loss to, to a Oklahoma State, I believe. I'm, I'm taking the Sooners to win this game. Do they get back on track? I think this is the game that they do it. What Have you ever seen the replacements? I have not. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, no. Iowa listeners out there, when you said streaks die, that made me think of Shane Falco, Chicks Dig Scars, <laughs> Legends Live Forever, or something like that. You know, go and get glory or whatever. I just botched the whole movie quote. Excuse me, guys. Sorry, I'll look it up in just a second. But still, I feel a Shane Falco moment here. Oklahoma, <laughs> Spencer Radler. <laughs> This is kind of the replacements. <laughs> sure, sure. Not really, no. Streak does die, though. Last year, Oklahoma was in danger of losing three straight for the first time in a very long time. Now they're in danger of losing three straight to Manhattan, Kansas? No. Oklahoma. Next game. Florida State, 0-4. My boys at home against 3-1 Syracuse, who just beat Liberty. 2.30 p.m. kick, ACC Network. I know Liberty is good, right? I know Malik Willis is good. Syracuse against this battle for Florida State team, I'm going to pick the Orange to win. Do I feel great about it? No. Because uh, Florida State seems like they're, they're trying to get things back on track, and it is at home for Florida State. But I'm going to pick Syracuse to win because that ground game has been phenomenal. Garrett Schrader, if y'all don't remember him, former Mississippi State quarterback. Who? Uh, Garrett Schrader. I don't remember him. You don't remember him? He no. played... He played, I remember him. He, he, okay, good. He had a beard, didn't he? He had a massive beard. He's yeah. like 6'5". The lumberjack. He looked like a lumberjack. Uh, I think I think Syracuse is able to go and get it done because we've seen Florida State look bad against any form of opponent this season. So Syracuse, even though they may not be good, may not be great, I think it's enough to get over the hump. Syracuse has an orange as a mascot. It's pretty cool. Orange. <laughs> I like oranges. Give me Syracuse. I know that sounds so stupid. It's not a gut game. It's it, there's there's a reason there. Hey. It's a juice game. It's a juice game. <laughs> no Seriously pull. though, Florida State's zero and four. Man, they're barely showing signs of life. To be favored by five and a half over Syracuse right now. I mean, Cuse isn't great, but they did they did beat Malik Willis. They did. If you yeah. can beat Malik Willis. You can beat whoever's playing quarterback for Florida State. And Florida State's not going to beat this orange to a pulp. It'll be the orange that's doing the beat beat down this weekend. <laughs> it's going to be ugly. <laughs> After all my picks went so negatively, I let you give all the fun information, like all the stats and everything, and I just come in with, they've got an orange. It's still pretty cool, man. It's it is. A, it's a dope orange.
So I, I am going Syracuse. You sold me when they said when you told me that they are one of the best running backs in the country. They have no, they don't have a Tank Bigsby, but they do have, they do have a good running back there at Syracuse. So I will take the Orange Men as well. Now let's go through a couple of other games here. SEC 5 p.m. ESPN, Florida on the road at Kentucky, and Florida is not lost in Lexington in 35 years. Is this the year that it ends? I don't know. Kentucky's kind of played to the level of their competition. You said so streaks far this year, end, right? Lance. Streaks die. This streak does not die. I, I have the quote, year. by the way. It's pain hills, chicks dig scars, glory lasts forever. And roll tie. But uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't Go know. OU. Boomer <laughs> Boomer <laughs> Horns up. But, uh, yeah, I don't think streaks end here. Look, Emory Jones is finally finding his rhythm in this offense, right? I don't know if Kentucky's going to be able to hold him down. I think they're going to be able to go Florida is and, and go and get the job done in Lexington. Do I trust Will Levis to go an entire game without an interception or a turnover? I don't think so. And not against this Florida team. After the way they played against Alabama, I think they're capable of going on the road and, and, and beating up on a Kentucky squad that I think does have a couple of, uh, of flaws. And, and Dan Mullen, we trust. I don't know if I'd go that far. In this game. Yeah, just wait till they play Georgia and the the South's biggest cocktail party or whatever it's hey, called. Listen, after Georgia loses to Auburn, that game's gonna be big. Okay. Be big. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I see. I see. I see. You want the smoke? I see it. Let's take a quick break here on on the line. When we come back, we wrap up the show with a lot of picks. We also finish up this Auburn LSU game. We give you our selection on the other side of this break. Wrapping up the Friday edition of On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central, Alabama. Going to wrap up the Friday edition of the show with Saturday selections. We still have a handful of games to pick right here. Lance, you ready to knock it out? Absolutely. Saturday selections. All right, we got a handful of games right here, and then we will end it. The culmination of it all. We'll be with Auburn LSU, and we'll go into a deep dive with it and what will be the most pivotal game at this moment for Auburn football. We'll break that down a little bit more in-depth than some of these other games, but let's break it down. Number 15, Texas A&M against Mississippi State. A&M hosting the Bulldogs. Seven-point favorites at home. I think that's a little much. 6 p.m. SEC Network. This is one of those games where I just can't trust Mississippi State's offense to get it done, right? If they weren't able to get it done last week against LSU's defense, they're not going to be able to get it done in College Station. I know that Texas A&M is obviously going through the ringer at quarterback, much like Auburn. But at home, I think they're going to be able to find enough offense. I know Zach Garnett's defense for Mississippi State is good. It's not going to be able to get it done on the road. I think Texas A&M wins this game. And honestly, if if A&M goes out there and, and they do what they need to do and they game plan, I think they actually cover. If they lose, there's a real so there's a real opportunity for AM to finish last in the SEC West. I'd love it. After all the hatred, after all the vitriol, everybody, as I mentioned earlier in the show. Everybody coming at you on Twitter. Where are they now? <laughs> Where are they now? <laughs> but then again, there's still all of AM's goals in front of them as well. They are three and one and just 0-1 in conference play. I was trying to remember if they played anyone other than Arkansas. They have not. Beat Mississippi State. It allows them to kick the can down the road a little bit, but they still got to play LSU on the road, might I add, and I don't think they've won there yet since they joined the SEC. They still have to play Auburn. They still have to play Alabama. They already got that Arkansas game out of the way. They still got to play Ole Miss. Mm-hmm. Those are four potential losses all right there. So they have a lot still in front of them. 
But uh, this is one that they have to win if they want to try and keep this season alive. A&M, I think, does get the victory. I don't feel great about it. I picked them last week and they burned me. I really badly want to go Mississippi State here because Will Rogers is showing the ability to move this football down the field against every team they've played at this point. They're just not scoring touchdowns. They get into the red zone and they can't score. They scored 25 against LSU, but with three minutes left in the third quarter, they only had three points. Too little, too late, right? And I think LSU's defense is a lot worse than what they'll be facing on the road in College Station and that road environment. I think Mississippi State's going to have a really hard time scoring. I think A&M's going to have a really hard time scoring on Mississippi State. I'm expecting something like 16-7, to something like that, that type of football game. It's going to be ugly. It's not going to give you great confidence in either of these teams moving forward, but I will take the Texas A&M Aggies to beat the Mississippi State Bulldogs. Number 19, Oklahoma State on the road at number 21, Baylor. Three-and-a-half-point favorites are the Cowboys, 6 p.m. ESPN2. Who knew that this would be such an important game early in the season in Big 12 play? I don't really trust the Oklahoma State quarterback, Spencer Sanders, or whoever starts for them, frankly, to get the job done. I liked what I saw from Baylor last week. They beat Iowa State. I know it was at home, but still they went out and they beat a formidable opponent. I'm going to take Baylor to win this game, and I think that just they're simply able to get, get over the hump on the road. We've seen a lot of crazy things in college football. Oklahoma State losing at home is, is not going to be very surprising. And they didn't really look that convincing last week against Kansas State. Now, if you watched how fast they jumped out to a lead over Kansas State, you would be impressed. But once again, go back to they were playing without their quarterback, Skylar Thompson at Kansas State. And that is enough to handicap the Wildcats tremendously. If he is healthy and he is playing, Kansas State is a formidable opponent in the Big 12. And I say just in the Big 12, they could beat anybody in that league. Just look at Oklahoma. They've lost two years in a row to them. But on the flip side, Kansas State was able to put on a little bit of a comeback. I think the final score was 31-20, to and it was a lot to a little for a while in that ballgame. Just the way Oklahoma State ended that ballgame still doesn't give me a ton of confidence. Baylor, on the other hand, offensively was able to put up 31 on Iowa State last year, last week, which I still think that Iowa State is just, uh, is just an average football team. I don't think that they're great, but to go and win that game that's got to give them confidence moving forward and it's legitimized what was a high-powered offense through the first four weeks of the season first three weeks of the season that was putting up over 500 yards a game scored 40 points a game you know just an excellent Baylor offense legitimized a little bit last week for me I'll take Baylor on the road I, I like what you said there it's not the wildest thing in the world to see Oklahoma State losing at home and boom picking stadium so let's see how that goes Saturday 6 p.m. ESPN 2 now 6.30 p.m., ACC Network, number 25, Clemson. Season's on the ropes. Could they fall below 500 home game, Boston College? I'll tell you, 14-and-a-half point line seems absurd after what we've seen the last two weeks. And after seeing what Boston College did to Missouri, I mean, that was a game that I expected Missouri to go out there and for them to handle Boston College because they didn't have a quarterback. But they were able to control the ground game. They were able to keep that, 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 uh, the, the offense going. In this game against Clemson, after seeing what Clemson did against Georgia Tech and against NC State, I want to pick Boston College to win. Like you said, I think the line is way too big for this game. But I am going to take Clemson to win this game. I think, again, just the talent is there. I said this last week. I was like, I just think that there's too much talent on this roster for this team not to succeed. And I know the quarterback play has kind of hindered them a little bit so far this year. Big Cinco has just not been it. But I think eventually talent takes over in different games like this in the ACC. I think this is one of those games where you see it's close. It's a fun game but Clemson's just too overpowering. 
Boston College needs to be able to run the football here to win this game. Now, I think Boston College's defense, which has only given up 290 yards a game, 16.3 points allowed per game. Now, granted, they did give up 34 to Missouri last week. And maybe that def those defensive statistics, they gave up 28 to UMass. Maybe those defensive statistics are being propped up a little bit by playing Temple and Colgate. I still think Clemson's issues on offense are Clemson issues, not for the fact that they've played great defenses up to this point because they've played Tech. They've played South Carolina State. They've, and Georgia's got a great defense. And that, that and NC State's still a Power 5 team. But I don't think largely what Clemson's done through the first four weeks offensively is a, is a factor of the defenses that they've played. I think it is their own issues on offense. But with that being said, they should still be able to find enough points to win this ballgame because Boston College is bringing a one-dimensional offense into this. Clemson's defense is still very good. If they can shut down the running game, which they should be able to achieve, Clemson should be able to find enough points to win this game. But I say should. They weren't able to find enough points last week against NC State. Right. And I think Boston College at this point, if Boston College and NC State played right now, you would have a hard time picking that ballgame. They're, they they're, they're pretty even. I think we would both go NC State at this point, but they are even opponents especially seeing what Boston College did this past week against Missouri that impressed me a little bit disappointed me in Missouri but impressed me a little bit but they're on the road it's it, sorry sorry no go ahead it's a shame that Phil Jerkovic the Boston College quarterback is hurt they would have a real shot to win this division I mean for the first time since like Matt Ryan yeah if, if he was here and he was healthy like you just mentioned not only do I think they win games like this but I think they have a legitimate shot to win that division at the end of the day. Sorry to interrupt you. No, you're good. And if Jerkovic was healthy, I don't think that this game would be a one-score ball game. I think this would be maybe a 10 or a 14-point win for Boston College with the way that Clemson's playing right now. Clemson is playing that bad right now, guys. That bad. Question is, do they turn it around here? Let's head out west. Number 20, UCLA against Arizona State. 9.30 p.m. FS1. Divisional opponents collide. Massive game here. And Arizona State's offense has just not been incredibly impressive so far this season. It feels like they've stalled out at certain times, right? And I know that JT Daniels is struggling. Uh, yeah, Jaden Daniels, rather. Two touchdowns, three interceptions on the season. I like what DTR and UCLA have been doing throughout the season. I know they lost to Fresno State, but I'm going to take UCLA to win. I just feel comfortable with this pick. I just don't, I don't like, after seeing what Jaden Daniels has put together, his product so far this season, I don't feel comfortable uh, picking them to win this game. UCLA at home as well, and you bring up the offenses. UCLA is the offense that is consistently scoring no matter the opponent each and every week. Now, did the defense fail them against Fresno State? Yes. Could that happen again here? Sure. But Arizona State, if you watched last week, which you probably didn't because they were playing Colorado and it was past everybody's bedtime, but if you did watch that game last week, you saw an Arizona State team that at halftime was still in a fight with Colorado, and Colorado is very bad, very bad. So I like what you pointed out. The numbers may be a little bit deceiving with Arizona State at this point. Do they get exposed here? I don't know. I think UCLA wins maybe 10 points, something like that. I think that's what you're looking at here. UCLA definitely appears to be the more legit Pac-12 contender than Arizona State at this point, despite the loss to Fresno State. Honestly, I just think we should be giving respect to Fresno State at this point. I know they only won by eight against UNLV last week, but let's see how this season plays out in the Mountain West because Fresno, they're tricky. They're tricky. The Mountain West Conference period is tricky. I mean, they've dominated the Pac-12 up until this point, right? And apparently there's some news that a lot of those teams, although they, there may have been some interest from the American Athletic Conference, they all said, you know, San Diego State, Boise State, a lot of these teams are like, we want to stay in the Mountain West, which I think is impressive. I do too. Yeah, that conference is definitely on the rise, at least it seems this season. Now let's get to, like I said, the culmination of all of it. 
LSU against number 22, Auburn. 8 p.m. ESPN, our final pick here. LSU at this moment favored by three points, I believe. The line has moved yes. yet again. It has moved down from Ooh. three and a half to three points. Folks like Auburn. And that we've talked about it. You get three points at home. So Ooh, They like Auburn. There are a lot of people that are betting on Auburn in this game. When you look at this matchup, I think it's very similar to what you saw in the Penn State game, right? Auburn needs to develop some sort of a pass rush to affect Max Johnson and to get under his skin and to either force uh, Aaron throws or to fo force turnovers, right? I don't know if Auburn's going to be able to do that in this game, especially in Death Valley, especially after what we saw against Penn State. When we thought that offensive line for Penn State wasn't good. You look also on the flip side of it, offensively for Auburn, who's going to be the quarterback? We still don't know that. How do you game plan around that? How do you play without a receiver with without a receivers coach, right? That first week without him, how do you game plan for that afterwards, right? What does this receiver room look like? If if LSU's gonna stack the box against Tank Bigsby and Dark West Hunter and Auburn's forced to throw, what does that look like in such a hostile environment at night? Right now, I'm not saying this is a gut game. I just don't like Auburn's chances. I just don't. And I know that Auburn has different areas where they can go out there and they can exploit things that LSU does not do well mainly the running game, and I think Auburn ha can, can definitely make a special teams play in this matchup to either get over the hump or get back in it. But at the end of the day, I think Auburn's secondary is a, is a liability, especially if the defensive line doesn't get pressure, and that's kind of my biggest concern. So right now I'm picking LSU to win. You look like you want to cry. I don't want to pick LSU to win this game because moving down the line, I know what I know what that means. Auburn is it means what? basketball season. Yeah, it means tip <laughs> off the tumors on Friday, man. It means we're thirty nine days away from college basketball. Um, but you know, and you know how Auburn opens conference play in basketball? LSU at home, gonna <laughs> <laughs> get revenge immediately. Um, you hope we hope, but look, right now moving down the line with this Auburn team, if they don't win this game, it's right now it's must win because you're looking at some of these 50-50 games as the, uh, if we lose as like A&M, South Carolina, Mississippi State, you have to win those now if you want to get to a bowl. The so margin for error is zero. It, it gets very... And that's just to get to the Birmingham Bowl. It's get, yeah, 9-3 and three UCF versus 6-6 six and six Auburn. I'm, I'm pulling for it. I want to see that happen. Man. But yeah, you're not it, pulling for that. We had a caller say, is like, who cares about the Birmingham Bowl? Listen, if that happens, there will be stakes. A lot of people will be tuning into that game. I think Auburn loses that game. Probably that's so. how the, all this transpires. But I, I want to get away from that because I don't think that's how this transpires. Auburn wins on Saturday. As Shane Falco said, pain heals, chicks dig scars, glory lasts forever. <laughs> Streaks are meant to be broken. It ends. I said this during the offseason. I still believe it. I think the Georgia State game was on the flukier side of the spectrum. The fact that Auburn did not look like they wanted to be there. I heard Jason Caldwell said this earlier on the drive this week which, listen to the drive following us here from 4 to 6 p.m. on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. Heard him say earlier this week, it was one of those games where it looked like Auburn just wanted to get in, get the game over with, and get on to SEC play. And it almost cost them. That was what Jason said, and, and I 100% agree with that. It just did not look like they wanted to be there. It didn't look like they were prepared for Georgia State. And why is that? Probably because they have been preparing for LSU for a week and a half, maybe a lot longer. And see, that makes sense because after you, you saw the game plan against Penn State, right? And it was spot on, it, I think. It was it was pretty darn close to winning, Auburn right? just didn't execute in the passing game, and so, it lost them the game. So there's no reason why Auburn would head into this matchup at homecoming, especially after what we saw they did at home against two other cupcake opponents. 
doesn't make any sense for them to head into this Georgia State game and just and, and drop it for no reason. Play the right? worst game that we've seen in a very long time in Jordan Hare Stadium. There's no reason why this team would all of a sudden just randomly play bad, right? Because through three games, we saw them at least be competitive in that Penn State matchup. You would like to think, and I think it makes sense to say right now, Auburn's focused on LSU, and they were last weekend. And I don't think the situation at quarterback is as bad as it may seem. Whoever ends up starting, I think you will be able to get competent play out of. The question is, is competent, which I think we got competent at Penn State, is competent enough to win the ball game in LSU. I am going to say that this offense not explodes, but it, it evolves a little bit more. You, you see more things. You see Auburn do more things off of the base and the variations that we've seen up to this point because a lot of different things have been put on film. We saw new things this past week against Georgia State. I think you see Auburn build upon those concepts. For some reason, I get the vibe that Auburn's been holding back a little bit in their offense with their concepts. Now maybe it fleshes out a little bit, and that gives them some explosive plays, hopefully, if Auburn can connect on some explosive plays. I'm not expecting LSU to blitz hardly at all. I think they're only going to break three or four guys. They blitzed Will Rogers 0% of the time last week, 8% of the time against UCLA, against Dorian Thompson-Robinson. I'm not expecting a lot. I'm not expecting LSU to put a ton of pressure on whoever's playing QB at Auburn. So if you can give him some time to throw, there's going to be openings in LSU zone coverage, just like there's openings in Auburn zone coverage. I expect these quarterbacks to come in there incredibly prepared. Honestly, maybe this controversy at quarterback, and this is me taking the glass half full approach to it. Maybe this quarter quarterback controversy is enough to push these guys to take the next step. Maybe this battle that has ensued this week is enough to push Bo Nix if he starts to actually play well or maybe it's enough to give TJ Finley the confidence and to push him to the next step in his development as a quarterback which is a year behind Bo Nix but he's already right there with him at the same time in terms of that development curve maybe this is the confidence that TJ Finley needs to explode and achieve what potential we see in him as a six foot seven 250 pound quarterback right I mean I I'm excited Whoever ends up starting, I'm excited for this football game. It ought to be really fun, and I'm going to take Homer to win. That's it for another edition of On the Line. We'll be back with you on Monday, taking your calls live and your reactions to Auburn, LSU, Tiger Bowls, and an Auburn win, an LSU win. Find out. We'll see you on Monday. You know where to find us.